Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I'm going to talk about ComC a little bit more than my other sponsors, but thanks Tops Panini and Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Com Beckett Media, and Beckett Grading and Beckett Authentication. eBay is not a sponsor, but eBay is part of this as well. Certainly, I look things up on the Beckett OPG and some of these things that apply to this situation have involved. There have been some lots I've gotten from Huggins and Scott that have fallen into this. And basically the situation is I've gone on record as saying I love to pick out cards that I haven't seen that are not easily recognizable, that have some quirk to them, that they're low supply, perhaps low demand, but uh, something that looks interesting. So not that many base cards. Uh, the player's not as important as, as the attribute, perhaps, or the characteristics, uh, whether it's a shorter print or a serial number, or a color variation, or some other kind of error card. Any of those things, I go all the way back and I have eclectic interest. Anytime I bought a large lot from Hugs and Scott, I bought a big lot at the National, and I bought a big lot at an estate sale one time a couple of years ago, and then I bought a big lot at the Dallas show a few shows ago. So in these cases, I'm buying either a collection or in many cases, I'm really buying the dollar box. I'm not buying cards from the dollar box. Either the person's making me an offer to say, hey, why don't you take all these? I'll make you a really good deal. And I at least listen. And unfortunately, when I did listen, I said, oh, that sounds reasonable. I'll take it. So then you got to figure out how you're going to get them home or fit them in your car or whatever the situation is, or you got to pay postage or shipping. And I found myself in that situation increasingly, it seems like, that people at the end of the show or for whatever circumstance, people find out that you're able to write a decent check. I'm not talking about sometimes it's hundreds of dollars. It's never tens of thousands of dollars, but it's I've spent more than a thousand bucks for the remainder of a dollar box in more than one instance. And it means I got to bring it home and figure out what to do with it. So that's what this episode is about, is I bought the whole dollar box. And so what do I do with it? And what would you do with it? I think people are doing that. Now, the good thing is Rich is always chiding me, don't buy a bunch of common cards. Don't buy a bunch of base cards. I'm going to get some base cards in a dollar box. They're generally going to be good cards of bad players or pretty good cards of pretty good players or not so great cards of great players. You're not going to get a spectacular deal usually, but there could be some nuggets in there. And again, when I'm looking through, I'm trying to pick out some interesting inserts, parallels, and I'm not avoiding base. There are certain players that will sell well and certain sets that sell well. But anyway, what you've got then now, once I buy the whole dollar box, which could be boxes, plural, I've got to figure out an efficient way to sort especially if a lot of these dollar boxes are willy-nilly. They're not in numerical order. I love it when they're organized by sport, but frequently they're not. And like I say with Huggins and Scott, I'm going to get a better deal if something is messed up. The more disorganized it is, the more people will shy away from it. But in most cases, I'm not the one making the offer. They're saying, hey, we want you to take this. And I'm thinking, wow, if they're all dollar cards, then how could I lose? I can lose if the labor is no fun and it takes a long time. So first, I'm going to break it into sports. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and then I make three piles, which is not as obvious. The middle pile, which hopefully is the biggest pile, is the alphabetizing of players that I'm going to alphabetize that I'm going to keep for my player lots and my player collections because, again, I have a wide-ranging interest. So within baseball, I'm going to make three piles. On the left is going to be high supply, low demand of no names, people that I don't recognize. I'm not going to alphabetize them, and I'm going to set them aside. I put them on the left there. It's, again, high supply, 
that's not good for selling if there's low demand, which there is. So there are generally no names or failed rookies or things like that. It sounds, sounds great. It's a rookie card, but if you've never heard of them, not a great deal. The big pile in the middle are the guys that I'm going to alphabetize. Again, within baseball, there's a whole bunch of players that I'm going to alphabetize. And then the third pile on the right is low supply, but low demand. So again, no names. The people I wouldn't alphabetize. So I think that's interesting. I want to look that up. It might be that if the price guide value is nominally high, and yet price guides are about giving a guide and what you can sell it for, maybe less and maybe more. Now, the first pile, the high supply, low demand, I'm just going to group those up and try to sell them on eBay. I lost on those. If there's a big pile, those are not the winners. They're the cards in the dollar box that in my mind should have been in the quarter box or the dime box. But if you're buying all of it, you're saying it's going to be some of that. And so I'm just setting this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I'm going to box it up and sell it real cheap. I'm going to take a loss and that's okay. The second group, the alphabetizing ones, eventually I have my own collection, first dibs, Com C, I will look at because then I can sell an individual card. And eBay would be if I group them up. I've already mentioned on another episode how I sort my player lots by card number by going on the back and just zipping along with my grid that I have. And so I've already explained that. So that's what I'm going to do once I get them alphabetized by the player in that big middle pile. The third pile is really interesting. Some of them are going to go to Com C, but not Certainly not all. Again, there are some people that don't handle Com C very well. It's a place to sell certain cards, not every card. It, you can't go by the serial number. You can't go by the brand. You Lower serial number, better brands. There's some guidelines there, but you've got to be careful. I've put some cards on there without checking, and I find out there's cards on there for less than 50 cents. Wait a minute, it costs 50 cents for me to list it. Well, I just lost money because it's available at less than 50 cents. How people can do that, they just want to get their money out of it. So you've got to be careful. You get the first pile on the left, not even spending any time on that. The second pile, I defer, which is my alphabetizing cards. The third pile, sometimes that pile can be bigger. It depends on if I picked out cards, I will pick out some of those if I think they're really, because other cards I haven't seen very often. When I'm buying out somebody, the remainder then I get a, the pile number one gets pretty big of the cards I really didn't want. But pile number three can get pretty big also, the cards that are these uh, obscure players with uh, interesting cards. I had a new revelation after I'd done this a, a few times with this third group. Oh, by the way, I always do left good, better, best. I make that habit. So you'll notice I talked about pile one, two, and three. Pile one is not junk. It's better than junk, but it's stuff in a dollar box that is not worth anything close to a dollar in my mind. So that's the worst stuff. It still could be good. The middle pile is the better and the best is on the right. And so if I get messed up on my piles, which I've done one time, I sent a small pile of the pile on the left to Com C. That's a double loser because they're bad cards and I paid more to get them listed. That was just a small stack. But I think it's important to have repetition. So what I've done with that third pile, which are not necessarily big names, they're not players I would collect, they're low supply, low demand. I have found out, because I've done this now, and I just finished doing this for a group I bought at the National, is that I've broken into three piles, this third pile, and I said, okay, of these, why are they there? Some of them have serial numbers, and some of them don't. The ones that don't have serial numbers, it's because they're variations or colors or poses, inserts and things like that, and I'll just make a pile of those. And then I have serial numbers. I've broken those into two groups, which really helps, which I hadn't done until recently, is I have serial numbers on the back and serial numbers on the front. If the serial numbers are on the back, 
then if they're all grouped together, all the ones on the back, you can easily backsort those and recognize uh, similarities so that if you are going to screen them for COMC and you have 10 of the same set with the same serial number, you can look up one. And if the first one you look up has 10 copies there at a cheap price, then that group is is not a winner on COMC. You could maybe put it on eBay or somewhere else, but it is not a winner on COMC. On the other hand, for that stack of 10 cards with that serial number, and that's whether it's 999 or 199 or 99. There's some out of 99 cards that are just already too plentiful on COMC. But you'll know that if you had 10 of them, if they were grouped together, and you look at the first one, if there's one or two of them or zero on COMC, or any other site you're going to look at, then you think there's some promise there. Now, maybe it just doesn't sell very well anyway, anywhere. But uh, again, if there's five or more on ComC, unless it's selling five cards a quarter, then you probably wouldn't want to send it there. But it's easier to group them and make those determinations if you're not doing one at a time. If you've got a group of 10 and you look at the first one, if the first one's a loser, it's probably not worth the time checking the other nine. And again, the better players are already in that second pile. Now, upon reflection, I'm realizing that if you get a good deal on buying out a dollar box, in other words, if the guy's got a few boxes left, he says, I'll sell you all of them for this. A good deal is not a good deal. <laughs> it's got to be a great deal or it's a bad deal. Because if it's merely a good deal, unless you just love sorting cards, I actually do love sorting cards, but you need to love sorting cards for many hours or hire somebody or like I say, have a little sorting party or something. It, it is a lot of work to get these things broken down in a way that if somebody says, hey, do you have this card? Like being out at, at Burbank with Rob Veras, everything gets broken down. Well, I have my six-point sorting situation instead of his 12-point. But still, if somebody says, do you have that card? And if you can't find it, then you don't have it. So you can't sell if you don't know where it is. Anyway, so ComC is, I don't know that I would say it's not for everyone. It probably is for everyone, but I think some people misuse it. It's done some episodes with ComC Hacks, Beckett Marketplace. I've always considered that because of the name, but I really don't want to ship one card at a time. I don't want to ship three cards at a time. I'm willing to ship 100 cards at a time on eBay. I can lighten my load that way, but not one card. So ComC works for me. They're doing the shipping and all that stuff. So be careful when you're doing this. I would rather spend $1,000 on buying out somebody's dollar boxes than spend $1,000 on one card. Now, it's possible that $1,000 on one card, the card could go up in value to $2,000. But if you don't count your labor, and that's a big if, then the $1,000 that I spent on the dollar box really should be way, way more than a 1,000 cards. And hopefully, when people are configuring their dollar boxes, they're not putting 50-cent cards in a dollar box. You just have to trust that. But if you do some spot check, I guess finally, there's no dollar box buyout that I've ever done that I didn't scan it and do some reconnaissance and check it out before I did it. I will go through one stat, one, I'd do some spot checking of some different boxes. I'd go through one row and try to see, gee, 10% of the cards are really good. That's what I'd pick out, but I don't have time. If I take them home, then I have some parameters of what it takes. But like I said, unless it's a great deal, don't do it. Same thing with buying a collection. Unless you just love... Again, I'm able to use a lot of these cards for my own collection because my collection was thin because I really 
wasn't collecting a lot of those years that I was running the company. So thanks everybody. Have fun. Different ways to enjoy your hobby. Buying cards from the dollar box is very different from buying the dollar box. I think I am needing to dig out from under that before I go back to wholesale buying, but it was a lot of fun for me. It continues to be fun and I wish that for you. So thanks everybody. Be back again tomorrow with another episode. The man in the house who calls.